0: For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and ACLU Oklahoma Executive Director Ryan Kiesel. Attorney General Mike Hunter makes a ruling on the money coming from tribal gaming compacts. Hunter says Governor Stitt cannot put the funds meant for education into an escrow while he deals with the tribes in a federal lawsuit. Neva, were you surprised by the ruling earlier this week?
1: No, I think everyone expected the clarification. I think the interesting thing is that the governor—I um, mean, the governor's position, the tribes' position—I mean, still appear to be intractable. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think when we when we look at the fact that uh, the opinion said that basically it, the waiver didn't constitute the state's legal position in the litigation, which is something was big for the governor, and then the tribes came back and basically through Matthew. Matthew. Matthew Morgan, the chair of the Indian Gaming Association said that uh, basically they acknowledged that they continued their responsibilities in the renewed compact so you mm-hmm. see that these folks are basically are uh, kind of where we've we've seen for months and I think the one thing that hasn't been factored in and we have to be reminded of is that the court ordered mediation is ongoing and even though it's behind closed doors uh, you would have to expect that what what is happening publicly with statements like this and what's going on probably reflects still what is going on behind those closed doors. So we'll see at the end of the month if we've had uh, any resolution on this at all. And there's a gag order on that
0: mediation,
2: which is another reason why we haven't heard anything about it. Really. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the attorney general, I think, made the the right call here. There wasn't really any wiggle room. There's not a spot in the law that says that these compact funds go into the 1017 fund or the other various funds that they're directed to unless it is harmful to the governor's legal position in a a compact dispute, you know, so there's, it was it. It said, you shall do this. This is where this money has to go. Now, the attorney general's, um, prognosis that this does not, uh, you know, um, a, uh, amount to an admission on behalf of the state that the compacts have renewed. I mean, he can say that. I mean, that's not binding at all. I mean, uh, a court, whether it's the federal court in the current case or in future litigation, that that's doesn't, you know, the court will make that decision. Right, nothing you know. stops the tribes so from yeah. still using that I mean, argument. so they're still going to use that argument. And really, the, the governor wants to have his cake and eat it, too. He wants to be able to take that money and put it in some sort of a reserve so that he can demonstrate to educators in particular that the money is there to be spent on education, uh, while at the same time not admitting that the compact have renewed. I think if the governor really wanted to, you know, stake out that legal position, uh, it, it puts him in a much diff, a more difficult political position, because the better way to stake out that legal position is to not accept the money at all. It's to say, we don't want the money. This isn't ours. You know, you wrote us the check, but we're returned to sender. And it's but that's, a, that's much more politically risky for him. Sure.
1: And, and it was Senator Rob, Roger Thompson, I mean, the state appropriations chairman that asked for this opinion, because from a from the standpoint of looking at it on the budget. Uh, uh, spectrum and the fact that it would create such a large deficit 150 million dollar hole in the 1017 fund they had to have some they had to have some uh, legal opinion uh, right now in in this discussion and I think that when he framed it in terms of what we're seeing I mean every every hour every day this week of the uh, uh, the fiscal developments and the drop in oil prices the Mm -hmm. stock market All of the implications really make uh, April and May very difficult uh, prospects in dealing with this budget, not only uh, looking at the next fiscal year, but beyond. Yeah. We,
0: would he be able to not accept the check? Would he be able Yeah, to I see? mean,
2: I think that, you know, if the governor really wants to say that the compacts did not renew on January 1st, 2020, the the better position for him legally, now not politically, politically it's disastrous, <laughs> but legally right. would be to return the funds and, say, and not accept them to begin with, not say that they're going to go into a trust fund, not accept them into the 1017 fund. I think that that's disastrous. I don't like that legal position, but to me that's a, a more consistent argument before a court that the state doesn't believe that the compacts have renewed. The, I mean, but in fact, I mean, the compacts did renew right. and so the money is there.
0: And very quickly the media, the mediation is supposed to be at the end of the month. So we're expecting some some kind of movement there as well. Oil prices dropped dramatically over the past week, along with stock market and several Oklahoma energy company shares as fears grew over the coronavirus pandemic. This might be good news for drivers at the pump, but maybe not for the state as a whole. While Oklahoma has worked to diversify its economy over the past several decades, Ryan, what do you think will be the impact of this downfall?
2: Oh, you know, I think we're, we're in the midst of a global pandemic right now, and, and we're seeing that in Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma was uh, the epicenter of uh, a coronavirus uh, issue with NBA, the, the Thunder game with the Utah Jazz. They, they canceled the game before it happened. I mean, this is a, a real thing, and, and it's it's going to get much, much worse before it gets better. Um, and so, you know, oil markets, you know, are responding to that. There's also a fight between, uh, Russia and other oil producing companies or uh, other oil producing countries around the world. So that's driving prices down as we record right now on, on Thursday mornings, you know, markets are at record, uh, lows, uh, you know, the precipitous fall off. They've already triggered one circuit breaker that stopped market trading for the second time this week. There may be another one yet to come today. Oil prices are hovering at around $30 a barrel, which is off from, you know, $50 a barrel a month ago. Fifty dollars plus a barrel a month ago. They may go even lower than that as demand begins to shrink. Um, This means. Terrible things for the state's economy, not just in gross production taxes, because you know, we're going to lose that revenue. Uh, those those estimates that the, the legislature is depending on, those are going to be off. But we're going to see this, you know, well beyond just these you know few months here. Even even if even if uh, going into the summer, the coronavirus pandemic begins to drop, uh, we're going to see the ramifications for this for a long time to come. To, uh, rig can, rig counts are down in Oklahoma. Income tax uh, collections are going to be down in Oklahoma. The legislature this year and next year are going to have a very difficult time. I, I think that the governor and the legislature right now are all longing for the days of 2019.
0: (laughs) Neva.
1: Well without question I mean when you start crippling one of the state's largest revenue streams you've Mm -hmm. got a huge problem and it's compounded by just the things that you described uh, in terms of what else is going on worldwide uh, Ryan and I think when we look at this uh, from the again going back to the just strictly the budget perspective I mean everyone uh, when we have good budget years and and things are going well like to pile on oftentimes on oil and gas, but when you look at the fact that we've collected $1.1 billion in tax revenue from the production of oil and gas just this budget year 2019, those are significant numbers that you can't sneeze at. I mean, you've got to really take into account, and it didn't happen just last week or in the last few weeks. I mean, even back to December, production was almost uh, 20% off from uh, year over year, and so, I mean, we've been in this slide. It's now being uh, compact compounded by what's happening around the globe. I mean, uh, and the the basic uh, collapse of OPEC OPEC with uh, uh, Russia. And we don't know what all of the ramifications are going to be from this, but the bottom line for Oklahoma in our budget process is that when we we look at what we're uh, going to be faced with in terms of the next budget year, even the next fiscal year, it has implications. Now, everyone always seems to want to pause and say, isn't it good that we were Uh, we were smart and we have this rainy day fund and we have these uh, uh, we have these other funds that are available to kind of fill that hole yes it is I mean it does show that uh, those those rainy day accounts do uh, do give us some uh, reason to have uh, some measure that we're not just going to kind of be in a free fall but I think it does it does point to the fact that the lawmakers are going to have to be extremely serious when they craft this final budget and try to pass it and may get it to the governor's desk
0: and the problem is the budget though that the numbers they're going to be coming off of were done three four weeks ago with the equalization board. That's so right. We yeah. these it's even off even that's more. Right. That oh, that's we right. That's right. Know yeah. how to fix that.
2: That's exactly yeah. I mean, three right. three or it, four it, weeks ago, you know that's a much rosier picture than it is right yeah. now. I mean the, the we're looking at a it's full a moving target. It's a moving right target.
1: Now. It's a moving target, and I think you know they have to be very judicious in how they approach this, and and there will and that's where the rub will come is because when you start talking, uh is it cuts? Is it what? What are we talking about? Just using, uh, using Using funds that we can access is it talking about cuts is it talking about uh, you know making other significant changes you know moving forward and we don't know we don't know what the governor's position is going to roll in on this we don't know what lawmakers are going to uh, feel like so it's going to be a very i think it's going to be a very lively uh, End of the session as it always is, but this time with probably uh, a much more serious tone. Looking at what we're seeing nationwide and globally.
2: Well, and and you know just to give our listeners kind of a timeline of what's happening. This week is deadline week for bills to move out of the House or out of their chamber of origin. So House bills have to move out of the House, Senate bills have to move out of the Senate, or they're dead for the most part. There are some exceptions to that rule. What we're and then legislatures the legislature is going to be in next week, but it's spring break, so not a lot's going to happen. I anticipate that not. At the end of the at the end of this week. Uh, not next week but the week following it's going to be a very sobering moment at the legislature where you know, for the last few weeks and we saw things you know, increased of cost of living benefits uh, for, for pensioners in Oklahoma but really no way to pay for it right now and so th- you know they've been doing all of this stuff based on uh, revenue expectations that are re- revenue estimates that are weeks old right now and those weeks seem like years and even
1: when go. you look at the energy industry and what's going on I mean the, the ripple effect of that is uh, when they when companies get faced with having to have layoffs or cuts and and the domino effect of what that of what that does economically in communities all across Oklahoma it is something that they are they are going to have to forecast and they're going to have to project with some uh, some real seriousness not just hope that this is something that is kind of a flash and, and may get better very quickly yeah. uh, beyond uh, the summer months
2: and well and we we've got you know the other thing that's happening is with the the oil and gas companies you know folks loans are coming due uh, so there, we're going to probably see increased defaults. Uh, so that's going to hurt the financial industry in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, you know, everybody's got taxes due. So, we, you know, what are they going to do with there? Are we going to see more bankruptcies? Are going to see real estate sold off? Uh, and then other folks outside of the energy economy, uh, restaurants, uh, yoga studios, folk, places where, sure. where people have economy. to congregate. Yeah. And, you know, as they're self-quarantining at this point uh, and social distancing, as, as we all should the be NDA doing.
0: not having the thunder could impact every business down in breakdown, no, Absolutely. Without I, question. I mean, our without office question. at the
2: ACLU, I, I sent it an email last night, telling everybody, we're working remote. We're going to try mm-hmm. to protect ourselves and protect our community. And more and more people are going to do that. That's the responsible thing to do, but it's going to be a huge hit to our local economy.
0: Governor Stitt is following through with his plan to expand Medicaid Stitt says the health care authority is moving forward with paperwork to the federal government, while he continues to talk with lawmakers on a way to fund it by July 1st. Neva, the first question is: How well is the idea of Medicaid expansion going to go over with Republicans who have opposed it for more than a decade?
1: Well, I think I I think that's a big question. I mean, even in the House this week, uh, 96 to zero, they made this they made the point that they're not going to they're not going to uh, support managed care, which was something that the governor was you know was very much. Uh, uh, pushing on and I think you know whatever the wh- whatever they want to say in terms of trying to uh, give the impression that there is uh, uh, real movement being made on some sort of a deal um, most people at the capitol uh, say that there's no deal really anywhere close to being uh, made and so you it's a very difficult circumstance I think I think in some measure you've not had all the players ever really at the table to really have that serious discussion of can we figure out and can we come to a deal and I think as long as this kind of just becomes a, a kind of a political football that that gets tossed back and forth I mean all we're seeing is paperwork shuffling I mean whether do whether they send something to Washington those things are all just at, at this point kind of just pieces in the in the puzzle but they don't really give us a picture of what we're really dealing with
2: right I think Neva's absolutely right there's really no clear picture mm. of how the governor's plan moves forward at the legislature right now there's there doesn't seem to be a lot of support for for doing this, there and there, you know. And, and frankly, we look at the initiative petition, state question eight hundred two. That's why we have the initiative petition process. And legis- the Oklahoma House of Representatives this week voted uh, overwhelmingly uh, to pass a, a House Joint Resolution ten twenty seven that would make initiative petitions in the future all but impossible in the state of Oklahoma. So, you know, if that passes, the Senate goes to a vote of the people. And if the people decided to give away their power, which I don't think that they would do, but if they did, twenty twenty could be the last year for that. And you know, we think of what 802 has done already, even before it's passed. It's at least moved, it's been a catalyst to get the governor to try to do something. I don't think the governor is going to be able to get an alternate plan out there. I think 802 is what uh, is going to be the up or down vote for Oklahomans on Medicaid expansion, and boy, we sure need it right now. We're seeing in, in rural areas the most vulnerable populations for the coronavirus are the ones that don't have immediate access to health care. And at the Capitol on, on other health care issues, we're seeing this you know kind of fast paced. Movement of legislation that would consolidate the the state's largest health agencies uh, Would eliminate the Department of uh, Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services eliminate that Commissioner position um, You know without a lot of conversation I mean, I think the kind of the same thing with Medicaid expansion in the governor's plan like Neva said There's not a lot of conversation about these these bills are being put up in committee They're being put up on the floor. They're moving through but there hasn't been a lot of thoughtfulness around it
1: and I think even though that that may be very much a true point I think the other factor again goes back to the budget side of it I mean uh, you know I mean the governor it's just like wanting to raise uh, wanting to raise the fee to four percent which would be the highest he could possibly do uh, in in, under current state law on the on the shop bill that Mm -hmm. was moving you know kind of just being juggled back around the hospital piece you know the hospital saying look too much I mean we can't do this I mean at this point uh, we don't have enough time to make the adjustments in budget Uh, you know all of the arguments." Uh, that that we've heard, and yet there we come back to this place where we can't seem to get everyone to sit down and have the honest discussion, and everybody give a little. I mean, this is not a situation on any of these big issues where someone is going to be a hundred percent winner, you know, on on any of these points. And I think that I think we've got to get to the the place rapidly where we see some real, uh, we see a different tone and a and more reasonable and reasonable. Positioning to try to really deal with these issues, and,
2: and maybe what happens is when they come back after spring break next week, and, and you know that sobering moment that I'm talking about, I think some of these bigger plans, you know, the, the consolidation of healthcare agencies, uh, the governor's Medicaid plan, I think that those probably begin to fall apart. Because the attention is going to be focused almost exclusively on the budget, because they're going to have a "what the heck do we do?" moment.
1: That's right, and I do. I think you have appropriation chairs in in both the House and the Senate who are serious about doing their job, and they have to have a balanced budget. They have to deal with these issues black and white on paper. The numbers have to be there, and that's where the rubber hits the road. And I think you know a lot of these folks can kind of just move back and forth without feeling much consequences. Uh, but this is where it will really. This is where everyone will hunker down. And really have to make those votes account.
2: Two hard jobs in the legislature: uh, Senate and House Chair of Appropriations. Yeah.
0: Well, I do want to ask though, also, because do you think the coronavirus might actually impact the next few weeks? Because uh, so schools, OU, OSU is, yeah. is going to have online yeah. classes. You're telling lawmakers that they have to be in a big, massive room <laughs> together. <laughs> Are they going to maybe take if they take some time yeah. off? That means bill deadlines. They still have to get out by May. Do you think coronavirus will affect the next few weeks of
2: you know the, the you know we look at who's most vulnerable, uh, uh, Oklahoma or American human beings over sixty that have underlying and, and then those especially that have underlying health conditions. Well, if you look at our legislature, it's,
0: there are a lot of folks out there like that. And a are, yeah. lot of
2: people that work out there, you know, everybody from sergeants to LA. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are part of that vulnerable population. And I've been out there for the last few days this uh, this past week. Um, and people are really worried about it and, and, and they, they're, they're taking it seriously. I mean, the, the building, you know, for the long, for the last several weeks, it smelled like construction. The last week it smelled like Purell. Uh, and, and, you know, and for good reason, you know, again, people are taking it seriously, but there's only so much you can do to contain it. I mean, you've got, you know, thousands of people that move in and out of that building every day, people that are there every day, people that visit for a one-time, uh, visit, I think it's a really uh, difficult situation. The legislature, both the House and the Senate, really ought to think about what would they need to do to be able to conduct their legislative business in a way that doesn't require thousands of people to be in the same place at the same time.
0: And that's why I'm saying. Do you think there's going to be a maybe self-quarantine basically stay away for two weeks after spring break even?
1: Well at at this point there hasn't that conversation doesn't appear to have really bubbled up although the concern is legitimately there as Mm -hmm. Ryan said. People are talking about it uh, you know uh, throughout that building uh, throughout the Capitol but uh, it'll be interesting to see. I think they have to make those assessments just like we saw the midnight uh, uh, uh the midnight meeting with uh, mayor holt and uh, all of his team you know trying to determine what yeah. would happen and all of the ramifications from the city point of view in oklahoma city of what they needed to do right on the heels of, of the nba decision and uh, and not having uh, not having any more uh, games this season so it, it's such a fast moving yeah. it's such a fast
0: moving game right now Attorney General Mike Hunter files legal action against Epic Virtual Charter School. The AG's office is asking a judge to compel Epic to hand over withheld documents in an investigation audit ordered by Governor Stitt in July. The issue appears to stem from the virtual charter school shielding millions of taxpayer dollars ryan your thoughts on this motion
2: well i, th- I think that it's appropriate it's it's uh, it shouldn't be necessary uh, to be in this position to begin with I, you know of all the things that the legislature should be looking at this year i mean figuring out a way that if we're going to have these for-profit private institutions running education programs in the state of oklahoma to be the recipients of not not just millions of dollars but tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars uh in a single year but especially over a course of several years and their you know just their outright refusal Uh, To be transparent with how those dollars are being spent and where they're going Uh, that should concern everybody Republicans Democrats and I think that it it speaks to um, Some of the concerns that people have raised uh, all along with with regard to charter schools being run by private entities especially for-profit entities and what that means for uh, Us as public the public as taxpayers, you know, how can we how can we uh, rest assured that these dollars are going where they're supposed to go? You know the state auditor and inspector has tried for months you know, pull, it's like pulling teeth and <laughs> she hasn't been able to do it. Um, if this were a public school, uh, in, in Seminole or a public school in Oklahoma City those documents are just there those records are just there and we know and we can say this is working this isn't and we can and we can act accordingly in the political process but but here we can't even make informed decisions legislators can't make informed decisions and it's I'm, I'm glad the Attorney General is doing this but it shouldn't have to come
0: to this. Neva?
1: Well and this is something that started back last July when the governor uh, requested an investigative audit of EPIC and and all of the related entities asked the state auditor and inspector to uh, to do that and then we started this long uh, process of back and forth as you say Ryan first they attempted the public records request that didn't go anywhere they tried subpoenas that didn't go anywhere I mean they've made uh, they've made uh, kind of the concerted effort to get it any way uh, possible through the normal sequence uh, sequence and chain that they would go through and now they're at a place where the court is uh, going to make some sort of a determination on March the 26th and I agree with you uh, to the extent that it is about transparency it is about being able to see dollars in dollars out what is appropriately being handled in terms of taxpayer use of taxpayer funds but it's less about the issue of the for-profit it's about what the for-profit did correctly or incorrectly and though there needs to be a mechanism to determine that and and this audit process a uh, state auditor if, if they had just uh, cooperated which they have not uh, epic, epic, epic epic not had not cooperated uh and provided the documents that were being requested and allowed this audit to go forward and 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 one be completed uh we'd be in a much different place so i think when you get uh, tens of millions of dollars which has already been you know clearly uh, uh, determined that we're talking about that that amount of money um, you've had investigative bodies uh, including uh, the Tulsa world for a year you know went through a lengthy uh, exhaustive uh, reporting process on this brought much of this to light that now mm-hmm. is being used uh, uh, where, where we are today in terms of the of the process so there needs to be a resolution we're talking about uh, we're talking about something that affects the lives of lots of children being educated in the state of Oklahoma and their parents and and it needs to it needs to be resolved and we need to know the bottom line and then however it needs to be corrected or dealt with or or exonerated whatever the process it needs to take place so that there's full transparency well and
0: then we're talking about not just a small v- virtual charter school we're talking epic is basically the third largest school district in yeah, Oklahoma yeah
2: statewide and 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 we've seen this not just with uh, private contracts with with education I mean this is something that that, you know, we've dealt with with private prisons in the past. Where, you know, with the Department of Corrections, if we want to know something, well, there's a either an open records request, or if you are in the government itself, you just get the documents, and you're able to internally audit that. With a, a private prison, uh, and those are all for profit. Um, we've those are black holes uh, of information, and so I, I really think that you know, as the government, whether it's an education or criminal justice or whatever that looks like, if we're going to be contracting with with private entities to provide services to the people of Oklahoma. You know, one we should make sure that we're getting value for our dollar, uh, and two we should know where the heck those dollars are going. And and right now, it's it's hard to know the first part of that equation because we just don't have the information.
1: Any but immoral? I think it is important not to taint all all private providers, all sure, outside yeah. providers, and to suggest that it's just really all about greed and profit. It's about providing services. They have contracts with the state of Oklahoma. There are legitimate providers in multiple agencies and uh, across state government that are providing needed uh, services and functions. And I think uh, sometimes uh, when we get one bad actor, then we want to then we leave this tone that somehow everyone in that arena are bad actors, and I, and I simply don't believe that's the case, and I think it's important to make that distinction.
2: Yeah, I agree with
0: that. Senator Jim Inhofe says he's running for a fifth term to represent Oklahoma. The 85-year-old has raised $2 million in his re-election campaign, which far exceeds any of his current opponents. Neva, do you see Inhofe's return to another six-year term as inevitable?
1: I, I see it as virtually inevitable, yes. An election needs to take place, and, and uh, Jim Inhofe's been through many campaigns in, uh, in his political uh, life and career, so uh, we'll see that again this year. And, you know, when you look at independent, these, uh, these groups that, uh, are, um, that have kind of a national profile of handicapping races, uh, most of them just independent. They do it all the time across the board, all states, all races. Uh, You look at the Cook Report, uh, it says it's likely Republican. You look at Larry Sabato's crystal ball he says it's safe republican you look at others and they say it's solid republican i mean you don't see any leaning or you know toss up uh, to this race at all i mean when you look at the political picture in oklahoma the fact that uh, uh, that we see it is a is a very strong republican uh, trend continuing in oklahoma that the uh, the support for president trump still uh, extremely strong uh, not only among republicans but uh, you would have to believe that given just given the trends in the polling that we've seen this point that it is sufficient to uh, uh, to be uh, a winning campaign in November, and I think when you look at uh, when you look at Jim Inhofe and his uh, his uh, kind of connection to the voters in Oklahoma, he is a well liked, well respected uh, member of the United States Senate and one of the most powerful members of the United States Senate who certainly uh, has done very well in representing the people of the state of Oklahoma.
2: Right. I think he's got a campaign on his hands. Uh, you know the the some of the folks that did uh, modeling and the the poll. For Kendra Horn's race, that showed that you know, she, you know that she could win uh, that race against uh, an incumbent member of uh, un- of the United States Congress, um, and, and defeated Congressman Russell, and and what was most folks thought was an upset. It is a huge upset, but you know, the folks that predicted that you know, have Abby Broyles within six points of Senator Inhofe. And I think that that's one of the reasons that you see him on TV in March. Uh, you know, there's if uh, I think that, of course, he wants to go out and make a statement. He's just announced his reelection bid, but he's spending money right now. He's got two million in, in the bank and he's doing that not because uh, he just wants to or it's fun. I think that he uh, he understands that this is not uh, a, a give me uh, and that this is an actual race. Abby Broyles is out, um, you know, talking about issues that matter to Oklahoma and she's, you know, I think she's not going to be able to compete with him entirely on the fundraising point, but I think she's going to do well. Uh, and she's got a really good message and, and working uh, a really solid campaign across the state and building a lot of support. You know, Senator Inhofe's uh, reelect numbers and his favorable and unfavorables aren't great for him right now. They're both underwater and this could become a statement race. I and mean, when we look at uh, the or work race uh, for United States Senate in Texas uh, a couple of years back, you know that was a statement race for a national case uh, to be made about defeating a particular United States Senator, Senator Inhofe. I mean, he he may be respected, but he's also he's the guy that you know brought a snowball onto the the Senate chamber and, and used it to you know uh, say that global warming doesn't exist. I mean, he's the guy that's kind of been mocking and not taking seriously up to this point the coronavirus threat that's uh, now a global pandemic, and we're seeing the ramifications right here in his own backyard. So I think that this is a real campaign. I think that everybody else has a real shot at this. Uh, It is an uphill battle, Uh, but as we move into uh, August and even into October, uh, anything could happen with this race.
1: Well, but again, when you look at uh, Jim Enhoff, the fact that he's chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, he's the ranking uh, senior member of the uh, Environment and Public Works Committee. He's someone that Oklahomans know. I mean, these uh, uh, kind of the setup on numbers, he's he's spending money just to make a statement that, yes, I'm, you know, for all of the people that thought I wasn't running for re-election, yes, I am. I think he's done it in one of the most creative ways possible. He's, he's taken to the airway uh, flying his plane upside down, which is one of the things he said. As long as he could do that, he, would, uh, he felt like he could be effective and, and, and run for re-election. So I think we're going to see a very spirited campaign as we always do in the fall. But when you see someone like Jim Inhofe, uh, last time winning by 68% of the vote, um, it, it's very hard to believe that it's going to be a close race at the end
0: of the day. Orion and Neva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the ACLU, KOSU, its staff, or management. Programs like this are made possible through support from KOSU members who are listeners like you. Consider a gift to KOSU in support of This Week in Oklahoma Politics at KOSU.org.